The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Take you up until noon. Zubin Mahente from ESPN coming up here in about 20 minutes. Look forward to speaking with Zubin. But right now, as we've been uh, teasing throughout the program, this is a fun, fun series. Uh, maybe not for my partner who's no, no, a Twins no, fan. It's certainly to so get far. off on the right foot. That lead is gone. In fact, they're looking up at both the Indians and the White Sox who find themselves in first play. James Fagan, who uh, gave us a preview of what the season might look like prior to we, us getting underway here, and he's back with us, and we're grateful for that. James, Trent Condon, Ken Miller, thank you for coming on to talk about those first-place Chicago White Sox. How are you? Good, and you? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much for doing this. Fun game last night. Uh, errors, uh, second inning was not kind to the White Sox. You can say the same later on in the game to the uh, Twins. Of course, that triple play got away from them earlier, and then Kepler. Uh, but this is going to be, it's seemingly, uh, a, a terrific month, and this season, uh, this division is not going to be decided till the very end. Going to be great theater if you're a baseball fan. White Sox-Twins down the stretch. How about that? Yeah, I think it's my my solace to the Twins, and I, I think the argument for the White Sox is it probably means more to see them uh, for, the, for the White Sox as a team to, to kind of see what they can do and, and kind of see how they stack up and certainly the fan base to kind of see their talent is for real and they really can't hang with the team, uh, the, you know, the other contenders in the AL Central. Um, I would say for the Twins that, you know, if you're kind of in this playoff anyway and it's an eight, you know, team field, and you're going to play a best of three team series anyway, and you know potentially you're playing in a bubble with no home field advantage uh, anyway. Even if there is with no fans, uh, you really just want to be in, and uh, in the long term, so the White Sox, but they might have a little more stake in the game to really in the season to see how they stack up or, or see if they can really hang with uh, the top teams in the division. Up to this point, uh, and especially the last night after they lost the opening series in Chicago against the Twins. They really were on the verge of pushing themselves into the playoffs by, you know, bump lane, I think is the term. They, they uh, went something like, I want to say, 6-1 and one against the Detroit Tigers thus far. Um, they've lost one game all season to the Royals after sweeping them in Kansas City and winning two out of three uh, in Chicago. Um, they, they crushed the Pirates, uh, obviously, with the, you know a no-hitter involved. They, they, it, all they'd really established up to this point was that they were better than the worst teams in baseball that they were kind of hanging around the last three years. So I feel like this series probably means more to the White Sox than it ultimately should mean for a team like the Twins or you know any series they have down the road to Cleveland as well. Luis Robert last night hits a home run that ties the game, has mm-hmm. a ground rule double that gives them the lead. I don't know if there's enough superlatives to describe just what an incredible talent this young man is. He's hulking out there. He can play defense. He is everything that you want in terms of upside, are we talking about a guy that can be in the conversation for the best players in the game? Is is that still much much more still inside of Luis Robert? I really hesitate to kind of put that on a guy, but <laughs> I don't have much reason not to. Yeah. Um, I bet down the road, especially compared to what he did in the minors, he's probably not going to steal bases that much. He's like, you know, the same way Mike Trout like stole like 40-something bases his rookie year, and now he doesn't run anymore because he's just too valuable. Uh, you don't want to see him get hurt. 
maybe that part of Luis's game kind of tones down. The same way Tim Anderson doesn't like absolutely max effort every infield single ball uh, anymore. Maybe that tones down a little bit for Luis Roberts. But otherwise, like it's an easy plus above average, maybe even you know top five center field defender in the game. And when you have that, you know, I mean, you you guys have seen with Byron Buxton of the Twins that you 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 tolerate a lot of offensive struggles if you're that good defensively in center field. I don't think he's Buxton level, but he's very good. So you have that base on the fact that what he's doing right now offensively, Louis Robert doesn't really know what he's doing up at the plate. Like, I don't mean that to belittle him, mm-hmm. but his, his approach is kind of nuts. And he still swings and misses literally more than any other player in the game. He's still swinging out of the zone a ton. He's still, you know, swinging at, you know, bad pitchers, pitches. He's still somebody that, you know, pitchers come up and they throw him two changes out of the zone just to see if he swings at them, and he probably will. The, the kind of approach refinement is, is not there yet. So that he's having this much success, I don't want to say he's just going to hit even better than he is now because, you know, that, that's insane. But we haven't really seen him adjust to major league pitching in any reasonable way. He's done a little bit, but it's been 30 games. Like, imagine what he's doing three seasons from now when he has, like, some sort of coherent approach and pitchers are extremely avoiding him because of what he's done so far. So, yeah, I, I, I don't want to say he's going to just you know, hit 400 with uh, power or anything like that. But I also, there's reason to believe he'll be better than he is now, which is absurd because he's really good right now. <laughs> he sure is. What about the job Rick Renneri is doing? Uh, is he getting enough credit for this team where they're at right now? Maybe he is uh, in Chicago, uh, but we hear about, you know, some of the better teams and seemingly the manager gets more spotlight, Sean, on him. Uh, is Renneri getting the credit he deserves? Well, this is definitely the out-of-town perspective because in Chicago he is, uh, you know, criticized for everything and harped on for every lineup. And why isn't Luis Robert by any higher? Why is Moncada moving around? Why didn't they? Why don't they let Dane Dunning, who threw five no-hit innings, uh, continue you know, on? Yep, in the rotation and whatnot. Uh, it, it's it's very much, and especially given the way things happen with the Cubs and him being replaced with Joe Madden right before they kind of mm-hmm. take the big leap. It's a question about, is Rick Renneri a playoff manager? Is he a guy who can really um, take the next step? Or is he like the kind of nice guy who's a you know, developmental focus who guides into the rebuild and now if they're a serious team, so they need to like upgrade with somebody proven? I never thought that was fair to him because Rick Renneri has managed the, I want to say, what, 2014 Cubs and you know three rebuilding seasons of the White Sox. He's literally an untested commodity as far as giving him a contender and seeing how he'll handle it. I don't think you can really give enough credit to a manager this season because it, it's hard to really compare it to a normal um, campaign, and we really just don't know how much they all have to do to keep you know a COVID outbreak from uh, ending their season or keep players staying while they're essentially quarantined from family and friends as they normally do. There's so much more they're enforcing and keeping uh, tabs on and having to weigh into their thinking as far as availability to certain guys and you know the shortened ramp up and the spate of injuries the White Sox dealt with to their pitching staff early on and, and kind of getting through that a little bit the way they have. Um, yeah, you probably can't give anybody who's keeping this you know season afloat right now enough credit because you know I think in, in July we all had our doubts that we baseball would even still be going on right now. And here we are, and uh, we flipped the calendar. Today's September, and 
we have baseball still going on. Tonight it'll be on the bump. Dallas Keuchel for the White Sox. The Twins have struggled mightily against left-handers, exact opposite of the White Sox, who are 11-0 against lefty mm. starters this year. They have just absolutely mashed all season long. Keuchel, when they made that signing, I looked at it and said, boy, I don't know what's left in the tank. couple of above-average years, maybe the last two, but injury plague last season with Atlanta. What have you seen out of Keuchel and his importance to this year's team and helping out that young rotation? Yeah, I was in the same boat. I saw somebody with a diminishing strikeout rate and uh, someone who, uh, even watching him now, will maybe crack 90 once or twice a game. Um, I it, it seems like a, a profile that kind of just gets by uh, in his 20s, and what do you do when he loses another tick of velocity with somebody who's already probably one of the softest throwers in the sport? But he's been absolutely everything they needed. He's true to like the kind of old-school bromides about he, he has something when he needs it. There have been nights where there's been kind of aggressive approaches against him, and... Uh, you know, he gets quick contact and, and kind of breezes through innings efficiently. And there, there's been nights for teams to try to work the count. And all of a sudden, he has a ton of swinging strikes and, and uh, you know, racks up the Ks. And it, more or less, he's a contact pitcher and, and somebody who's just trying to keep the ball on the ground and, and seemingly somebody who is that provides a less than sustainable approach, uh, given that everybody focuses on strikeouts these days. But he hasn't had a bad start with the team. And, um, you know, the whole. Where they are right now, some degree that's tied to Dallas Cycle calling out the team in Detroit earlier in August and, and saying that their effort was yeah. substandard and they need to be more focused and they need to be more refined to the plate and that only a few guys were given really professional at bats. And, you know, it, it's not like Keichel said that and, uh, you know, it's like a sports movie and everyone goes running around the <laughs> locker room and they're, they're good ever since. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's part of kind of their journey to, to being a little bit more refined. It's a very aggressive offense. It's very homer dependent. It's very swing and miss heavy. But, you know, they got to have to they, – they're on the precipice where they could go too far one way and, and be a team that can't sustain rallies because they're just constantly swinging for the fences. And they, they, they haven't done that uh, these past couple of weeks because they've, they've been locked in. What's the uh, what's the concern about the team? Cologne's been unbelievable. Would it be the the setup? I mean, we watched Cishek throw a terrific pitch, uh, and then the very next pitch, it was parked in the, to tie the game. I want to say Sunday ninth inning, uh, which gave the people viewing an opportunity to see Luis Robert do his thing uh, as he untied the game in a walk off fashion. Is that the concern? Is it the setup guys, Cishek and company? I, I would say it's my concern. I, I expected. I did not expect, uh, I thought it was probably more unlikely than likely that they would match up on a deal with Lance Lynn or some major rotation upgrade, but I thought, I assumed that they would add to the bullpen at some point. Aaron Bummer is the best reliever on this team. Um, you know, even with Column A being very effective as a closer, but, you know, Bummer is the most talented guy in terms of getting lefties, working multiple innings, um, getting both strikeouts and being able to get ground balls if you, you throw him in his runners on bases. He can really do anything, and he's not expected to be back until the end of September, and that's if things go well, and there's not another setback to maybe knock them out for the season. So missing their best setup man, I, I think, is definitely the thing that they're kind of working around right now. You saw uh, Cody Hewer uh, have a rough night last night. And in terms of talent, he's a guy that they would hope would step up that they could you know, put into that setup mix. But they have, right now, they're relying heavily on, on Jimmy Cadero, who is a guy they claimed off waivers who had been DFA'd three times last year. Mm. I can't quite figure out why he got DFA'd that many times, but he's, he's not, great. you know, 
a name brand setup guy and Evan Marshall, who was a minor league free agent in spring training in 2019 and, and is not a, a flamethrower at all. He's been really good. He's been really effective, but they don't, it's not the, you know, the Yankees bullpen where they have, uh, you know, five or six guys who were plucked away in free agency who were the best reliever on their old teams. And now they're a super bullpen. It, it's very much a lot of journeymen who are kind of passionate together and a lot of like, you know, promising young bullpen arms like uh, Ewer and, uh, you know, hopefully Zach Birdie getting, getting back in, in line that they're, they're really counting on for big innings until Bummer gets back. And so, yeah, it's a little surprised that they didn't move to upgrade, but they, they say they have, uh, they have confidence what they have. Maybe that involves, you know, especially just because it comes to number game at some point, maybe that involves Carlos Rodon coming back from injury and, and working out of the pen as a, as a kind of a, a you know, a flamethrowing lefty a little bit. Maybe that involves Ronaldo Lopez eventually moving there or, or something like that. Maybe they have some of their starting pitching resources or, or their prospects like Jonathan Seaver that they can move toward that. But I, I see that as probably a possible weak point uh, going forward. One of the weirdest trade deadlines that we've seen outside of the Padres who basically flipped over their whole roster in a team that was in playoff position. Wasn't a ton out there. Surprised at all that the White Sox didn't make any kind of moves, though? Dyson. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely thought they'd move for – I, I thought I, I, the logic that they put out there as far as, you know, we have a long-term vision. We don't want to give up any resources for a rental. You know, this is not even like this is only the start of where we feel we were going to be competitive. We don't want to, you know, sacrifice some guy with six years of service time left or, you know, a prospect for just kind of a, a quick little boost in the immediate when we don't even think this is the best team we're going to put out during this run. We've heard that so many times, and that, that definitely made my skepticism for a major move, but I was I was surprised that I thought that a especially for one month of reliever that would not be costing something significant and you know the Dyson cost was very literally non-existent since it was international money for a international signing period that technically should have ended two months ago but has been extended so I don't even know how the Pirates are going to use that so the literally the only trade they made was for something I'm not sure is valuable. But apparently that was the cap that they were really willing to sacrifice anything long-term for, for this current team. And, yeah, I, I think they're going to make the playoffs, and they're going to be the, probably the most fun season the team has had in a decade, even without an upgrade. But I thought there'd be a little bit more. They're fun to watch, no doubt about it. James Fagan, thank you for coming on. You can uh, read James at The Athletic, uh, such a terrific website. If you're a sports fan, it is a must-have and a must-destination every day. James Fagan, thank you. We look forward to speaking with you again. All right, take it easy. Good to talk to you. James Fagan as we catch up on the White Sox and the AL Central. Well, just when we thought there wasn't going to be any local interest in Black Friday this year. Yeah, yeah. There is. Oh, what do you got? Texas, Iowa State has been moved up until Black Friday. Wow. Iowa State at Texas, TBD on the kickoff. It'll either be on ABC or one of the ESPN networks, but that was just announced by the Big 12 Texas, Iowa State moving up a day to November 27th, Friday after Thanksgiving. That is pretty sweet. Are they announcing yet the Louisiana Lafayette? Kick I time? have not seen that. So they got Black Friday figured out. Got Black Friday figured out. The uh, Yes, we have time. We have we time. Have time. It's in. Let me get. Oh, yeah, darn it. Let, let me guess the TV network. Okay. This is an 11 o'clock. It is. ESPN game. Big ESPN. 206 on your direct TV. You are correct. Big ESPN. Big ESPN. Right after o'clock. game day, whatever form and fashion it looks like. Are they making their way oh, to Ames? Oh, they're going to be in Ames. 
Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't want people to think that that part's serious. Because the other two were. Yeah. We don't know um, where game day is going to be. Right. We do know that uh, that ESPN will televise uh, Louisiana-Iowa State and that Iowa State-Texas has been moved to Black Friday. Let's be nice to be a Cyclone fan right now. Well, there's Big Ten news, too. Good news? I, almost, I, I hesitate to bring it up because our... Rule, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Poli- pol- more of a policy. We don't like to interject politics into our program. It's been a little difficult over the last it's half been, year. It has been difficult. Um, the president of the United States mm-hmm. spoke with Kevin Warren apparently today, and they have agreed to. What I took out of it was, and I'm just reading it via Twitter, that the that the government is going to make it possible for those. Rapid tests? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I don't know if this changes anything. That part of the tweet was unclear that I've read. Uh, there's a website that I was on, one of the, um, it's a Big Ten site. Anyways, they think that there's a glimmer of hope Okay, that this would get things back. The president wants Big Ten football this fall. Right. He wants to start. You know, when everybody else is starting. Mm-hmm. And apparently he reached out to Kevin Warren and they had a conversation. And then it's been picked up by various Big Ten websites that, you know, this is happening and there's, um, we shall see. I will read you this tweet right now. Sources with direct knowledge confirmed that the White House set up a meeting with the Big Ten this morning to discuss providing assistance to bring football back this fall. Primary issue was getting rapid testing from the government stockpile. Letterman.com. Okay. Is the website I was trying to remember. So reading uh, through President Trump's tweet, and he's... Oh, you got the tweet. Where, where, where? Uh, had a pro- very productive conversation with Kevin Warren, commissioner of the Big Ten Conference, about immediately starting up Big Ten football. Would be good. Great for everyone. Players, fans, country, on the one-yard line. That's the part. Are we, are we on the one-yard line? I want to hope so. Of starting immediately? I, mean, I don't think so. And that's... Well, I mean, I I was shut down uh, practice for everybody. I was certainly not on the one-yard line because nobody is practicing at the University of Iowa starting, what, Monday? Yeah, and I don't think, aren't the other schools limited to, did they get 12 hours or 10 hours? Yeah, whatever it was. Yeah, something in that range. They're certainly not game planning. If if we would get, all right, this is what's happening. Here's the new parameters in place. And starting, and let's say after, after Labor Day, Tuesday practice start. They still need a ramp up. 26th. Start when the SEC starts. Three weeks? Is that enough? Some of these teams have not been practicing in the same form or fashion. And they've been working out, but they haven't been practicing football. I don't know if that's enough If they were to be asked prior to a normal season, is three weeks enough? The answer would be no. But they quickly... And everybody's playing. Everyone's racing the same race, right? That's true. Because you're not not playing non-conference, because you are in the same conference, and you have the same rules and parameters. Mm Mm-hmm. Figure it out. So um, let's go. The testing sounds as though it's going to be made available. I don't know. Other than that, what came of it? We'll like everybody else. Wait and see. But we do have game time kick times uh, for a couple of uh, Iowa State games. Eleven o'clock for the lid lifter. Black Friday, Texas Iowa State. Zuba Mahente next. Miller and Condon before that. Cakes and Owen Iheart want to help you with your bills. Text the keyword check to 200-200 right now. Your chance to win $1,000 check to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contact. Zuba Mahente joins Trent and I next. Miller and Condon till noon. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460KXNO1.com.
Okay, now it feels real. Doesn't it? Welcome back, Miller and Condon. We got kick times. You're it's, getting there? It's 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 here. It's happening. Yes. It's happening. Go Wave all in, Miller. Go all in. Risk of hurting you, your feelings and you breaking your heart. You can finally read Phil Steele? Yes, absolutely. Uh, let's get Zuba Mahente in here. ESPN Radio. Of course, mornings on ESPN Radio. Zubin, Keyshawn, and Jay Williams. And he joins the program. Sounded like you're almost to the uh, done with the apartment shopping, Zubin. Have you been able to check that box? Yes, yes. I was texting you yesterday. Uh, you won't be seeing me on CNBC or Fox Business. I hope to be here for the rest of my career, but I will be living on Wall Street, which is sort of a nice. fun little nugget down in the financial district. And uh, we're here in the Seaport area. If you know anything about New York City, I don't know as much having moved away for so long. But um, this area was ravaged by the uh, by that superstorm Sandy in 2012. Oh, sure. And it's slowly coming back and obviously right now the new york city occupancy level is pretty low just because of uh covid and people moving out so you know generally people were wondering why i was moving back in <laughs> it seemed like the right decision but you know how it is i mean if you can live a stone's throw from where you guys are on grand uh there's a lot of advantages to that so it's gonna be nice to be able to walk to work walk home still can't eat inside at a restaurant uh in new jersey or in new york so it's a little bit different in connecticut we had both options but uh Hopefully we'll have a place soon and we'll be ready to go. I'm actually talking to you from the studio right now, looking at nice. the East River, and uh, it's been good. It's been good. This is week three. They told us this is where the new car smell wears off, so we really got to get down to it. <laughs> That's great. So, so but just uh, give us a little um, uh, look inside, if you will. New York used to be so expensive to live, and I'm sure it still is, and the, the amount of money that you pay on rent gets you such... It's comparing to Iowa, such a small place. I mean, square foot wise. Um, what give it a ballpark? What what kind of uh, what does it cost for a month? And then what does that get you, if you will? You don't have to tell us what you're paying, but kind of give us some um, you know some parameters uh, as to what it costs to live uh, in one of the greatest cities in the world. Yeah, I would tell you that right now, obviously, if you're a buyer or a renter, you're in great shape just because so many of these buildings. Uh, just had so many empty buildings. So I would say like a studio, and look, a studio is like, it varies, but uh, there's a studio, and then there's like a little something called the studio alcove, which is like a little separate place for your bed, but not quite a one-bedroom. So a little studio would cost, and this is with a rent reduction, um, because uh, a lot of places are just doing anything to get you in. New York also has broker's fees and all these things that never exist in any other place except out here just to take more of your money. Uh, but Disney does a great job with hooking us up so we can avoid some of those fees. But I would say like a 463-foot studio. 463-foot studio. That's tiny, right? 463. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say just with the rent reduction, it's probably going to run you somewhere around $2,000 a mm. month. So 463 feet, probably 2400 normally. You could probably work it down to 2000 I was able to find a couple things under 2000 but the biggest thing for me is being a single guy is just being in a nice, safe area uh, that's close. I probably am going to spend way more time here at the South Street Seaport Studio uh, when Get Up comes back. First take is coming back. The NBA is currently here. I'm probably going to spend way more time here than I will in the box that I'll call my home uh, at some point. So a couple grand for a tiny little studio seems about right. If, if you want to call that a renter's market, that's New York. Jeez. Absolutely wild. It's 
Also been a wild week here uh, in the world of sports, Zoop. And as we jump back into that and take us through the last week, the conversations you had with your co-hosts on the morning show with Jay Will and talking to Keyshawn, two African-Americans, certainly different kind of conversations that Ken and I can have. A couple of mm-hmm. you know guy, white guys from the Midwest, it's different than what they went through and our conversations on the NBA after the decision by the Bucks and everybody else to shut it down. Take us through the week and some of the conversations you guys have had. Yeah, what I think is really interesting is this is the power of these two guys. So, for example, Monday morning we're on in New York here for three hours on 98.7 FM, uh, Michael K show, the voice of the Yankees, all these shows. And Monday morning we're on talking about it. And I just get a mention in my ear. Uh, that Spike Lee is on the line, and he'd like to join. And so it's one of those things where he's just a regular listener uh, in New York. He has, like, the quote-unquote hotline number, right, like the uh, radio term. Mm -hmm. He calls right in. He's like, I want to join right now. I want to talk to these guys. And so he came on. And uh, there was a widely circulated video last week of Troy Vincent coming on the show. It was great. And uh, breaking down in tears. That was on CNN. I had sent it to Ken. Mm -hmm. Um, He was just beside himself. and look, a couple of years ago, if Troy Vincent comes on our show, or not, we wouldn't be on a couple of years ago, but Troy Vincent comes on ESPN Radio in the mornings and does that, uh, he might get criticized. Uh, the league might actually frown upon it. He's the executive vice president for the National Football League. Uh, but I think today you look at that and say, hey, you know, that's just who he is. He's being human. He's being authentic. So it's been amazing to sit there and be with these guys. I, you know, when John Thompson died yesterday, Jay told an amazing story about he wanted to grow up playing. John Thompson and John Thompson told Jay's father, by the way, pretty soon I'm going to be retiring. So this isn't one of those mm. deals where I want your son to come play for me. Of course, Jay turned out to be the Wooden Award winner, national champion. But John Thompson looked at his father and straight said, look, I'm probably not going to be here the whole way. Um, I just want to let you know that Craig Estrick is probably going to take over for me. And it was just those little sorts of things. And both Jay Billis and Fran Fischilla came on yesterday. And they both actually used the same term. They came on about 30 minutes apart. And they said that everything that everyone's fighting for now, all those NBA teams, those three NBA games, those 10 MLS teams, eventually uh, the hockey, um, you know, Naomi Osaka and tennis, everybody that came together and said, I'm walking out that baseball day where I believe the first day it was, I want to say three games or six teams that chose not to play. Um, you know, all of that that's happening right now, he was doing by himself in the 80s. And despite the groundswell of support for all of those people boycotting or not playing, there's still a strong group of people that believe they're not doing the right thing. Um, and think about the push-pull today. Generally, it's moving in the players' direction, I would guess. But even now, they're facing stiff opposition in some quarters. Imagine having those views in the 1980s when you were basically a lone wolf and you're the only guy out there shouting from the mountaintops about Proposition 48, Proposition 42, um, so it was amazing to, you know, to talk to some of these people. Jim Calhoun joined us. They're great battles in the Big East. So yeah, it's definitely been a somber week uh, for sure. Then you put Lute Olson, who obviously had the great ties with the University of Iowa. It's been a tough week in college basketball. We talked to Lorenzo Cain today. We're going to run that tomorrow. He's been involved. Uh, he's opted out of the season, as you know. So he's got a very interesting viewpoint on things. It's just been really amazing to sit there and be able to talk to guys like Joe Judge today or, or Jim Calhoun and just get the view of some of these guys. Uh, and what they're really 
Yeah, I, I was going to say, Zubin, I, I want to believe that there's a number of coaches that would have uh, been as forthright to say, I'm not going to be here for your son, especially one as talented as Jay Will was. Uh, but I, I don't think that that's the case. Interesting story. Glad you shared that with us. Well, let's get to the here and now. And ABC's got a game tonight that certainly is going to have a lot of eyeballs on it, particularly the Iowa State uh, fan base as they'll watch two of their own go head-to-head with one of them guaranteed to advance. But before that, let's get to Boston-Toronto, Zubin. I thought that this had a chance to maybe be the best series of the playoffs. Well, Clippers-Lakers, if should they collide, is going to be outstanding as well. Um, but Boston-Toronto certainly wasn't in Game 1. Do you just draw a line through that game? Tonight's going to be better? Or are the Raptors in trouble here? I think you absolutely have to just say it's a one-off. I mean, after all, uh, they are the higher seed. Uh, they performed extremely admirably without Kawhi Leonard this year. Nick Nurse was, as you know, the runaway coach of the year. People believe they have the best GM in the game. So in my opinion, it was just a tough spot. Now remember, the Celtics are still playing without Hayward, which makes what they've done really amazing. But right before the pandemic hit, Jason Tatum was exploding onto the scene. It seems so long ago, uh, but he's picked up where he left off. Kemba Walker had a knee injury right before everything shut down. So that's something to kind of keep an eye on with the Celtics as well. And Jalen Brown has been playing great. I know in the NBA now it's all about duos. It used to be about trios. It used to be about trios. Now it's uh, duos, but the Celtics have an amazing trio, and they're making it work. And I just think from Toronto's end, I mean, Ken, I know you're a Raptors fan. I, I just I don't think I've really thought Pascal Siakam has played well at all in the bubble. Now, he did not have a good game one, um, but I just don't think he has played great since they got there. But sometimes these things are one-offs. I mean, you saw Milwaukee lose in round one, game one. You saw them lose uh, to Miami yesterday. They were only three and five in their seeding games in the bubble. So, I mean, Paul George came out the other day and said, I played poorly in games two, three, and four of our first-round series against uh, the Mavericks because I was depressed. I had a level of anxiety. So I just think looking at these things in a vacuum and just saying bad game by Toronto or what's going to happen tonight between the Nuggets and the Jazz, Denver's never overcome a 3-1 deficit. I mean, you got Murray and Jokic and Spider Mitchell and Gobert all on the court. What does it say for the NBA if those guys stay where they are, game stays in Portland, and San Antonio rebounds to become a really strong, small-market team, Zion stays in New Orleans? It would be excellent for the league if all of these guys were to stay where they were. And very quietly, Rudy Gobert, who is just displaced as the defensive player of the year, he is a two-time reigning winner. Giannis won it recently. Rudy Gobert has quietly played some excellent basketball, particularly on the offensive end. And obviously, I think we all know what his role was in shutting down the world of sports. So the idea that his team could advance and that he's playing great basketball is not being talked about because there's so much Luka talk, there's so much LeBron talk, and all of that is deserved. Um, but I do think tonight's game, by the way, it's on ABC. It's getting a real big billing, mm-hmm. 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 Central tonight. Mark Jones and Mark Jackson will be on the call, and Mark joined us, or Mark Jackson joined us this morning. Uh, on the program. So I think it's a great spot, right, whether you're Niang, Monty Morris, whatever the situation is locally. But I think there's a small group of guys in this game, the four guys that I mentioned, that if they stay, it's great for the NBA to make sure that talent like Giannis in Milwaukee or whatever the case might be, those smaller market guys stay where they are, Jock in Memphis. It really bodes well for the league. Get Thunder Rockets then tomorrow night, another Game 7. Going to be fun. I love those Game 7s, no doubt, regardless of what round they come in in the NBA. Speaking of basketball, Zubin, you're an East Coaster, and 
Wanted to get your perspective of John Thompson. We're in the same age range growing up with Big East basketball. Big Mondays were as big as it was even here in the Midwest for me growing up. He was literally and figuratively bigger than life. John Thompson, your rem- memories of him, the great Georgetown coach. Yeah, inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame in 99. If you really want to get some chills, we ran this on the radio program and on the TV side yesterday. Go look at Allen Iverson's 2016 awesome. Hall of Fame induction. Yep. Piece, right? He had mentioned Thompson. For those that don't remember, Allen Iverson was involved in a gigantic mm-hmm. bowling alley brawl. Allen Iverson is from the Virginia area. And when that happened, and Iverson, everybody coveted Iverson. When he was involved in this bowling alley brawl, everyone scattered. Nobody wanted to go near him. And John Thompson essentially rescued him. Another stat I saw that people don't really trump it about Georgetown because it was all about Hoya paranoia and all this sort of stuff. I believe the stat was 97.8%. 97.8% of his four-year players graduated. And that's not something that should be taken lightly, especially because it wasn't one and done back then. I would also say we mentioned this to the company. ESPN started in 79. And the first real property, and you know, in, in addition to like you know, world strongest man, and like you know, sharks <laughs> or whatever they were showing back then, Biggie's basketball was a humongous part. And I joked and I said, if you're too young, I'm not talking about Creighton Biggie's basketball. I'm talking about Luke Carnesecca, Jim Beheim, Jim Calhoun, Raleigh Massimino, John Thompson, or you know, Jay Wright eventually, who was an assistant to, to Raleigh. All of those guys coming together. And it was a really big deal. There's actually a great 30 for 30 on the birth of the Big East, if you're interested. Mm-hmm. But um, it was really big for the company because it was our first major property. And, and let's be honest, we talked about this for, for many, many years. College basketball just doesn't hold the same place in the American sports landscape. It used to for a variety of reasons. Um, but I do think they're old enough to remember all those classic battles. Like, for example, I'll tell you that Mark Jackson told us this morning after the passing of John Thompson, I want to see Luke Hanaseka is 95 years old. I think he's 95. And Jackson said he called him yesterday because, you know, it's when you get busy, life moves on, and Mark was such a great player at St. John's Dance for the Knicks where he was the rookie of the year. But when that happened with John Thompson, he said, you know what? John was 78, and he was in some poor health. But, you know, Lou's 95, and he said, you know, it's just one of those things where you take it for granted. I got too busy. I couldn't call you back. He said, you know what? Coach is 95. I need to check in on Coach a lot more than I do. So sometimes you need to see these types of stories. Uh, you realize kind of life is moving 100 miles an hour and everybody's doing all these things and Mark's down in the bubble and you're always worried about your health. Um, but it's one of those things where he's kind of stepped back and said, you know what, coach has passed away. Let me call my coach and see how he's doing. And uh, I think it's sad that sometimes you are pushed to do those things after somebody does pass away, but it really helps you prioritize life in a big way. No doubt about it. Zubamante from ESPN joins the program. Well, Zubin, that's been unbelievable to watch. Uh, the the NBA has been great. The college basketball, the passing of John Thompson, uh, certainly sad. Uh, but I want to move on to college football with you because we're getting kickoff time, Zubin, and for whatever reason, <laughs> that gets you going. It does. It's just now it's here. I'm buying. I'm 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 all in, and I think a lot of people are that way as well. Uh, we've got Georgia and Alabama. That's a prime timer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we know three of uh, three of the Power Five conferences are going to play. We saw a game this past weekend. Uh, more eyeballs on Austin P than maybe they ever been uh, at, at any point in their existence, football wise. Uh, but here we go. Uh, what's the feeling like uh, at ESPN? Sure, it's going to be different, but uh, we're four forward 
No doubt about it. And, you know, even a small uh, small acknowledgement here of Austin P. What's really great about these sorts of stories is you hear stories that you never would have. Let's say there was some sort of season, or let's say there was an actual real week zero slate. You know, Austin P. and again, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but, like, they were once the worst program in major college football, or I wouldn't even call it major college football. They were the worst program in college football since they wouldn't qualify them as major college football. At one point a few years ago, they lost 47 to 48 games. Mm. And it's just one of those things where that story completely doesn't even hit the radar anywhere unless they actually are able to share center stage like they did the other day with Central Arkansas on ESPN. Um, and it's one of those things where those are the types of stories that are going to get told a little bit more. Like you said, those SEC games, those Saturday night games, it makes all the sense in the world uh, to put those in prime time. It helps build uh, programming windows. Sports generally rate terrific on the weekend, college football and CBS in that particular case. But it's one of those things where you really look at it and you say to yourself, what are the good stories that can be told that ordinarily wouldn't be told? And from a staggered standpoint, if we're going to have September 12th start, if we're going to have the 26th of September start, not everything will be coalescing and coming together. Obviously, look, I mean, the Big Ten situation is completely up in the air. And we'll see what happens there. If indeed the vote was 11-3, I'm sure Kevin Warren feels okay about it. Um, but we'll see what indeed takes place. But I really think that by minimizing the schedule, the, the teams that are out there that are actually taking this risk, because remember, it's like you said, Ken, it's the three power five plus three other leagues. So you basically got six conferences mm-hmm. in the FBS playing. If those conferences are going to go out there and risk it for whatever reason they're deciding to risk it, um, you know, each has their own reasons then I think we should be able to tell their stories and give them their due um, because they're out there when a lot of others aren't. And uh, I think it'll be fascinating. I think, I think you know, I, you guys know this better than I am sure. Games are going to be bet on at rates that uh, have never been seen. I would imagine tons of people put money on that For sure. Saturday night, and that could be a byproduct of this as well. Indeed. Zubin Mahente, Zubin, thank you. Uh, appreciate you uh, coming on, as always. Glad you found your place, all 463 square feet of it <laughs> that you'll call home. Zubin, thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it. Sure. Only one of you can come over. Not room for all Not room for all three of us. Good stuff. Thanks, Thanks Zubin. Zubin. Good to talk to you, pal. Zubin Mahente, formerly of WOI here in Des Moines and uh, now ESPN Radio mornings uh, from 5 until 6 and then from 8 until 9. So as we talked about, TV times trickling out. We're getting the start time. It'll be 11 o'clock for Iowa State, Louisiana, Lafayette. Missouri State is the opponent for Oklahoma to kick things off in their 2020 season. They didn't season. get prime time, did they? No, it's a PPV, pay-per-view. For that game. Remember a couple of years ago when they played Army, and that was also yeah. a pay-per-view yep, game? And I do. Had to click on some of those illegal links, maybe, to, uh, to yeah, get I, it. No, I didn't, I didn't buy it. I, I didn't buy it either, but I saw it uh-huh. and saw the near-miraculous upset there. So, pay-per-view. How much do you anticipate it will cost you want to watch Sooners Missouri State Bears 990 that's too much uh 999.99 yeah. and I thought normally maybe this is a five 595 game but yeah you bump it up about 10 bucks and yeah do you, go have to, do you have to buy buy you don't have to buy equipment right? no no, no. yep yeah, it's, it's higher than nine gotta go higher 14. Higher. Oh, come on. Or I'm not, 
right, uh, I don't want to do this anymore. How much does this game cost? Fifty four ninety nine to watch the Sooners against Missouri State. That's the pay per view. Fifty four ninety for one game only. One this game isn't only. a service. No, no, this isn't for a full season. You don't get the press conferences right. and all of that other no, no, stuff. No. This is for three and a half hours of football. Fifty four against they... a bad Missouri Valley Conference football team. How many? How many do you think buys do you think they'll get? A lot. You really do. Oh, they're starved. Fifty. Well, if they're only going to allow, I mean, fifteen thousand people is out there allowing. I don't know. And normally eighty thousand are there. Those people that are normally inside the building, well, they're going to pay. Now there's going to be, I'm sure, a lot of people that are going to have get-togethers and invite some friends over. We'll all split the bill for this one. Since you couldn't pay me ninety nine cents to watch this game, fifty four ninety nine the cost for the Sooners in Missouri State. That's ridiculous. Is that a legit link? It is. It's from <laughs> uh, one of the beat writers. Wow. Uh, college football reporter for ESPN, Dave Wilson, had that. Mm. Uh, we'll come back, finish things up. Miller and Condon until noon. Des Moines fifty. That's crazy. <laughs> Do they wear a mask when they <laughs> when you go show up and pay? They better. Oh my gosh, uh, Miller and Condon. Uh, I can't use that joke anymore in the pandemic, can you? Right. Everyone should wear a Vrask, mask. Yeah. You get the point. Fourteen sixty kicks and a All right, literally final minute of the program here. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, fourteen sixty kicks and one hundred six point three FM. There's the music. Got to play tonight. Play Big. today. Unload. Bankroll unfurled. White Sox. Twins White can't Sox. hit lefties. And they've got and the uh, Keikels on the bump for the White yes. Sox. Murph and Andy, two fanatics at four. Morning Rush tomorrow at 6 a.m. We're Miller and Condon. Weekdays, 10 to noon. On Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM.